Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. What an amazing day. You know, uh, over the years as you've been with me here, that I honor this nation. I love America. I love America. I want you to know that. Some people act like they don't. I do. I do. I, I love this nation for many reasons. Is this a perfect nation? No, it's not. Uh, but I've learned something in my life. I do not allow the frailty of men to cloud the faithfulness of God as I live my life. I'm thankful for the foundation of this nation. I'm thankful and I'm not here today to give a political speech. So sit down and keep your Bible open and your phone on and quit acting like you're going to get up and leave. All right? You need to hear what I'm going to say. This is not a political speech. I'm not a politician. I'm not running for office. I don't need an office. I have a calling on my life. (laughs) Okay? So, but we need to understand. I want you to get this word. The stewardship. The stewardship of this nation and the covenant it has with God. And his purpose for it as a believer. I want to help you with that. It's being rattled. It's being, it's become cloudy. It's become edited and deleted and, and shifted in the way our children. And we understand this connection of God and this nation. It's, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's blessed. Do you know that behind me, uh, you know, we don't use currency very much anymore. But on your currency, it says something in God we trust. Do you know that's the motto of this nation? Might be hard to know that right now. Did you even know that? Do you know that's the motto? The official motto of America is in God we trust. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I want you to put this next thing up here. This is what we used to say, uh, the pledge, the pledge of allegiance. Uh, What what does that pledge say? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. Now, I want you to get this. This is is critical. I'm trying to get you to understand for just a quick moment that I'm going to bring up biblical perspective of the divine connection between America and God Almighty. See, if, if, if voices can rob you of the understanding that this nation has a place in the eyes of God, then we fail to recognize our position as believers in this nation. Are you with me? I'm not going to talk politics today. I'm going to talk the Word of God today. I don't want us to understand this incredible stewardship, the gift of taking care of what God's trusted us with. And this is what we say. One nation... One nation. We're struggling with that. One nation. Somebody say, one nation. I want you to look at those, those words of unity and cohesiveness that were the foundation of the hope of, these, of this nation. One nation what? Under God. One nation. Under God. Indivisible. That means you can't separate us. Do you know that unity doesn't mean we all look alike, talk alike, dress alike? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Unity means we have different ideas. We have different points of view. But, at, but when we come out, we come out together. That's unity. Not we look all alike, we think all alike, but we're going to stand together under God for what we believe in. One nation under God, indivisible. And look at this, I think it's important. With liberty, with freedom, and justice for all. Let me read a couple of things to you just very quickly. Again, hold on with me. I'm going to preach. If you like preaching, I'm going to preach. Okay? If you don't like preaching, you're probably not going to like this church anyway. 
Okay, let me help you just real quickly. What am I doing? I wanted to connect some dots with the hand of God on America. I hope we never forget that. We never miss that. We never fail to understand that the founding of this nation was dependence upon God. That this nation that became the mightiest nation on the planet, the most benevolent and hope-giving nation on the planet, drew all that from the founding fathers' confidence that they were here under God's direction. That God had enabled us to start this grand experiment of freedom and democracy. And it impacts us as believers. Let me, let me just read a couple of things to you here. Uh, did you know on July 2nd, 1776, Congress voted, our first Congress, to approve a complete separation from Great Britain. The colonies were struggling under uh, taxation without representation. They were under a dictatorship. There was a religious environment where the church was part of the state. And the state church would dictate how you worship and where you go. Do you understand, and it, it's been completely flipped upside down. Listen to me, I want to help you. That the meaning of the separation of church and state is not that the state can dictate how we worship. The separation of church and state, that founding principle was the very opposite of that. That there could not be a church that the state validates. You could not be forced to worship. You could not be forced to go to a separate church. That the government could do nothing to infringe on your worship. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's the separation of church and state. That the government could not dictate where you pray, how you pray. And we acknowledge as believers in this nation, nor could it force someone to pray when they don't want to. But it could never take away your right. The separation of church and state means that the state cannot tell you you cannot pray in school. That the state cannot dictate to you the expression of your faith. That they cannot tell you you can't carry a Bible or pray before or after an event or an activity. That our children cannot be told they cannot gather and pray in school. The separation of church and state does not mean that the state controls your worship. It means they cannot control your worship. And that you are free to serve God. That's the original intent of the separation of church and state. But we don't hear that talk. We don't hear that explained. So on July 2nd, 1776, the Congress, Continental Congress of the 13 colonies voted, we separate from Great Britain. It was a declaration of war. Two days later, we celebrate July 4th. I'm not sure everybody knows why we have July 4th. Let me help you. Just give me about three minutes here. July 4th, the first draft of the Declaration of Independence was signed by the first two individuals. John Hancock, who's president of the Congress. Charles Thompson, secretary of the Congress. Actually, the other signatures, the other 56, were not able to sign until eight days later. But on July 4th, it was officially signed, the Declaration of Independence. Do you know that... Uh, that eight days later when it was read from the steps uh, there in Philadelphia, the Liberty Bell was rung. You ever heard of the Liberty Bell? You know why it's called that? It was the bell rung to declare the independence of this nation. Do you know the inscription that was on that bell that was rung? It was scripture. It was Leviticus 25.10. This was the bell that signaled the declaration of independence of this nation. On that bell was inscribed, proclaim liberty throughout the land. 
and to all the inhabitants thereof. Now, John Adams, who was a witness and a signer of the Constitution, of the Declaration of Independence, had written this in a letter to his wife. This day will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. He said, I believe this is going to become a national moment. And then he was asked in 1837 when he was 69 years old because they said, we want an eyewitness who was there on that day. Tell us about that so that we don't forget. Listen to this. The man who knew what was done and why it was done. He says, why is it, friends and fellow citizens, that you are here assembled? Why is it that entering on the 62nd year of our national existence, you have honored me with an invitation to address you? Why is it that next to the birthday, listen to these men, why is it that next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns On this day, the 4th of July. Listen as he continues. Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior? They believe that. That it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel. Is it not the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation? He said our direct, our Declaration of Independence was founded on the Redeemer's mission upon this earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. Every law, everything this nation was founded on, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, everything they did, the form of government was based upon their concept that God's word is the wisdom we need. Christianity is a foundation. In this nation, because we have freedom, you're not forced to be a Christian. You're not mandated to be a Christian. You're not forced to pray if you don't want to pray. You're welcome in this house of worship if you don't want to pray. You're welcome to come here no matter what you believe. You're welcomed in this nation. But we also know the thing that made this nation great were the principles and the foundation that it was based upon. And we should celebrate that, and we do. And so the connection is inseparable. One nation under God. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for everyone. I believe America is the city on a hill. I believe we're a shining light. This nation, there's none like it. Based on that Christian faith, based on the the gospel, we've sent the gospel to the nation. I want you to be thankful that this nation you live in is the most sending nation on the planet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful for that today? We have sent the gospel to the four corners of the earth, the United States of America. The government didn't do that. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has sent the gospel to every continent on this planet. I'm thankful for that today. Do you know that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, based in this nation of freedom, has spent billions of dollars to tell people who Jesus is? I'm thankful for the greatness of our nation. Do you know that America has sent democracy to the nations of the world. Do you know this nation, our democracy, our freedoms, based as you heard me read on the word of God, have caused hope to ring around this world today. Do you know that when when this world was under the hand of dictators like Hitler and Mussolini, 
when it looked like World War would take the freedoms of this planet away. Do you know every time World War One, World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam, Desert Storm, it was the United States of America that stepped up to the plate and sent hope and peace and delivered this world from the dictators and the despot. I'm proud to be an American today. I'm thankful for this nation based on the word of God. I'm thankful for what we do. We've sent hope around the planet. We've sent goodwill around the planet. We are at this moment standing with Ukraine doing what we can because that's who we are. This is the chosen destination of the world. Are you listening to me? The chosen destination of the world. There have been more immigrants coming to the United States of America than any other nation combined on the face of this earth. Do you know why? Because we are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. If you're not thankful for this nation, invest something in this nation. Begin to pray for America. I found out if I don't invest in something, I don't have value in something. You know, if you don't have anything in the stock market, you probably aren't keeping up with it today. Because you got no investment. Do you know what? You love and appreciate what you invest in. We need to pray for this nation. This nation is blessed of God. This nation was given to us. I don't want this nation to lose its identity on my watch. I don't want my generation to be the last generation to value this nation. I want my children and my grandchildren to grow up in a country where they can worship God, where they can send the gospel, where they can be proud of who they are and what they've done. I'll say this again. Are, are we a perfect nation? Absolutely not. Do we have things we need to work on? Of course we do because we're men. And we're women. And there are things that aren't well. But I'm telling you this. In this nation, you have opportunity. You have promises. You have the, the, the opportunity to do something great. And I want to have us here at Calvary. I want our children and our grandchildren to recognize the opportunities that are there. And to love this nation. And be thankful for the men and women who fought for our freedom. I'm thankful for that today. I'm deeply thankful. I'm old enough. To, I'm the son. I'm a baby boomer. I'm the son of a World War II veteran. And I'm going to tell you, I thank God for the price they paid. I'm thankful for the freedoms they brought, not only to America, but to this world that we live in today. So, where are we today? And what do we need more than anything else? I'll tell you what we need today more than anything else. We need the hand of God on America. Can somebody say amen to that? We are in desperate need for the hand of God on this nation. I want you to go to Jonah chapter 1. I don't want to read a scenario to you here that I believe is, is uh, just a picture of where we are in America, of where we are in the church, of what we are believing to see God do. I believe it brings us perspective of where we are. Now, do I believe America, that God loves America more than any other nation? No. Do I believe that God loves Americans more than any other people? Of course not. He loves us all equal. How many can say amen to that? His care is for every nation. His care is for every people, for every race, every language, every tribe, every ethnicity. I am in no way saying America is better, we're better, we're on top. I'm saying this is a great nation with a great history who's done great things. We need to keep this nation, one nation under God. We don't do that by force. We do that by prayer and by modeling the gospel. How many hear what I'm saying today? All right. So here was Jonah. I want us to look at a situation. Uh, we're familiar with Jonah. We're familiar with the account. If you've read your Bible, if you've been in Sunday school, you've heard about this. And uh, But I want us, there's a perspective here of something I believe we miss. Let me just for the sake of time, um, let me kind of, uh, let me just paraphrase. Let me give you the story 
and, and then um, <clears throat> we'll catch up. <clears throat> Pardon me. So Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh, a city-state, a nation, a city-state, and preach the gospel. For some reason, Jonah did not want to go. Jonah was unwilling. Now, I know there's no one here that could ever relate for God to lead you to do something, and you decided you didn't do that, okay? But just bear with me. I know that's hard to relate to. But Jonah was unwilling. He was a prophet. And God said, you go to Nineveh and you preach. He said, I'm not going to do it. I just don't want to do it. I, I, I know that. He, and you know what's sad? You know why he didn't want to go? He said, I know if I go and preach the gospel, I go and preach your word, that they're going to listen and repent. I don't want them to repent. I want you to get them. <laughs> Are there some of us sometimes, I believe in this nation, <clears throat> we've allowed the rhetoric and the false narratives and the... Uh, deleted and shifted history of our nation and commentary on where we are to divide us. I believe there's some people, it's hard to believe, that sit in churches. And are, how many want me to tell the whole truth today or just give a little patty cake? I believe there are people sitting in churches today that, that really don't want God to bless everybody. I believe there's some people that have had more prayers about God sick them than God save them lately in this nation. No, I know it's nobody here, of course. See, I believe there's some people that are so self-righteous and feel so right about what they do that they are happy when a person has a hard time. You know, the Bible says if you rejoice over someone's failure, uh, you rejoice over the hard time, God will stop that and maybe it'll come visit you. <laughs> so Jonah says, I'm not going to go. So what does he do? So Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed in the opposite direction, got on a boat. Out on the boat, what happens? Verse 4, Jonah 1, Then a great, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his, to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe you'll take notice of us and we will not perish there are some moments, I believe, that are so disruptive that even the normal man, the natural man says, this isn't a natural storm. Something else is going on here. I believe there are these moments where people say, this isn't natural, this is spiritual. I believe there come those moments that precede a revival where the people involved come to a place and say, this has to be something else. This can't just be normal. There's something going on. Is God trying to speak to us? My concern in America today is will the church even be able to recognize that? So let's keep reading. He says, you need to get up and pray, dude. Get up. Pray. So, uh, so the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots. A lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who was responsible for making all this trouble for us? What did you do? <laughs> Where do you come from? What is your country? For what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this really terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? Two times. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down? Look at verse 12. Pick me up and throw me in the sea, he replied. It'll become calm. I know that it is my faith that has great storm has come upon you. My fault, not my faith, my fault. Now, can you see someone become so determined 
to run away from God and not repent, that he'd rather die than repent. But he could have prayed, okay, I'm sorry, God, yeah, give me a minute, five minutes, God, I've oh, no, he said, just, he said, I'm not praying, just throw me over. Isn't it amazing how stubborn people can become in their way? Isn't it amazing how deceived people can come in their ways? Isn't it amazing that God would give someone a chance to repent? He said, I'd rather die than repent. Just throw me over. Now look, these heathen guys were night. They said, look, we, we, we don't want to do that. Verse 13, instead the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. I mean, you would think if this guy says, I'm the problem, throw me over. They were so, they said, look, we don't want to do that to you. So they keep trying, okay? They were killing, but then verse 14, they cried to the Lord, Lord, please do not let us die. For taking this man's life, do not you know, hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. Lord, you've, you know, you've done as you please. So verse 15, they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now, I don't know about Jonah. Jonah's a strange man. Jonah has issues. How many understand what I'm talking about? Jonah has issues. First of all, he would rather die than repent. And then he's swallowed by a great fish. And then some people say, well, that couldn't be true because there are no whales in the Mediterranean. That was the Mediterranean. Couldn't be true. I guess you forget about who we're talking about. This is God. This isn't evolution. It isn't a billion years of one molecule running around another molecule or goo coming out of the swamp. This is God. Remember, this is God. He made the place. And if God wants to make a fish, it's really not an issue. You understand? Okay, let's get a fish. We need a fish. Jonah, I need a fish for this guy. Here's the thing I don't understand. Jonah would rather die than repent. Now watch this. And he's in the well three days before he repents. Three days. I don't know about you. I would be repenting about the teeth level of the... Tell the truth. I mean, when I had one leg, oh my God, God, I'm sorry. Please, God, forgive me. I'll never be an idiot again. God, I'll go preach. I'll preach to anybody. I mean, come on, three days? Three days. He's in the fish three days. What do you do for three days in the fish? That's gross. It's stinky. It's awful. Dear God. I mean, you, you gotta be a knucklehead. You have to be deceived. Is anybody, I'm going, this is real. It really happened. This isn't, it happened. I'm repenting in the first three seconds. Who's with me? I'm in, I'm repenting when I see the whale. I'm repenting when my backside hits the water when they threw me out of the boat. Come on, tell the truth. I'm repenting. God, I'm an idiot. Forgive me. I don't know what I was thinking. You know it. Not Jonah. So finally, Jonah. Three days later, in my distress, really, Jonah? I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Do you even comprehend the mercy of our God? The mercy of our God. This guy has got issues. And, but he prays, and God says, okay, I hear you. I called to the Lord, <clears throat> and he answered me. You may think you're too far for God to do something. If God will forgive Jonah, he'll forgive you. <laughs> if God hasn't given up on Jonah's call, he hasn't given up on your call. How many are listening to me right now? I sense the Holy Spirit saying to some people listening to me right now, very specifically here and here, especially you right there. 
that you thought has been so long, you don't have to worry about the call anymore. Are you with me? Well, I'm calling on your call right now. And I'm going to tell you, if Jonah's call didn't leave, neither has yours. And the good news is, God's for you, not against you. And if you'll stop running from that call, you'll start finding what God did. Now, I'm taking some time. To, I want you to see this. So what happens? So God tells the fish, okay, throw him up. Now, I tell you, this is a gross story. Throw him up. So Jonah's back on land. He's decided, I'm headed to Nineveh. <laughs> Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A city of required, a visit required three days. I mean, just to walk the length of the cities, three days. Okay? On the first day, Jonah started into the city who proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Cloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down on, in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they had, what they did and how, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now look at chapter 4 verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased. This is probably, I want you to get this. Where are we in America today? There's some parallels here, but you can't miss them. This is probably, we miss it because it's Old Testament, one of the greatest revivals in Scripture. We read this account of Jonah. It says the entire city turned to God. The entire city turned to God. They wouldn't let their animals eat or drink. The king put on sackcloth. They fasted. They prayed. Do you know that there is nothing that can stop a move of God if enough people get serious and begin to pray and humble themselves before God? But what I want you to see about one of the greatest revivals recorded in history of the scripture is that it had nothing preceding it that we all say has to happen before revival occurs. Nothing. All the things that we say, if there's going to be a revival, we have to do this. I want you to listen to me. It wasn't the preacher that brought the revival. He was probably the worst preacher I've ever read about. He was probably the slowest preacher I've ever read about. He was probably the most rebellious man I've ever read about. So you hear people, oh, you got to have God's man. God's man got to come and we got to have a Billy Graham or a T.D. Jakes or somebody to come and stir the people and use great oratory. God did it and it wasn't the preacher. We're told if God's going to send a revival, we got to get the intercessors together. I believe in intercessors. We're praying every morning. You know, we, we're praying. But they didn't have an intercessory prayer group. <laughs> they didn't have a great preacher. They didn't have... Uh, Elevation worship, Maverick City, and Bethel, all leading worship in Nineveh. They have anything that we say you have to have, that revival. I know I'm scaring people right now by saying what I'm saying. 
Because we got our system. Oh, God. Walk in the White House. The president would get saved. We'd call worship on the lawn of the Capitol. And somebody could preach. None of that. None of that. None of that. What you need to understand is why there was a revival. What happened to Nineveh? If it wasn't Jonah, and it wasn't the worship team, and it wasn't the intercessor, what in the world created one of the greatest revivals recorded in history in the Bible? I'll tell you what it was. You see, all those things that we look for, if you study the history of Nineveh at this time, I wanted to find out what's going on. You know, at this time, they they were facing an economic collapse in that city-state. Their economy was turned upside down. Do you know that because of their weakness, their surrounding nations, their enemies were beginning to make threats against them, rattle their swords because they saw weakness in that place. And to top it off, are you ready for this? There had been a pandemic of disease that had moved through the city. And do you know why there was a revival in Nineveh? It really had nothing to do with Jonah. And there was no worship team. And there was no intercessors. And there was no pastor's group that got together. And there were none of the things that we say have to happen. Do you know why there was a revival in Nineveh? Because that nation had finally become so desperate with everything that man could do and man could offer and man could put in place. They had been prepared by their circumstances to receive the word of God. The only thing that was the constant that ripped through that nation and caused a revival was the word of God. Or you're listening to me today. It was the word of God. It wasn't something a human being could do. It wasn't based on human ability. It wasn't based on all of our plans and calculations and what we think. But there is an unfortunate quality in the hearts of people that when they have come to the ends of themselves. And when they have done all they can do. And when they are sick and tired of being sick and tired, when they have been prepared by the consequence of their choices, they may be willing to finally listen to the word of God. There was a preparation in that state that caused awakening to come. Do you realize we are praying for a revival? And oftentimes... To answer our prayer for revival, God has to send a plow to turn over some ground and uproot the common and get me uncomfortable enough until I'll receive the word no matter what it costs me. There's preparation and timing. Could it be my prayer is that America may be at the place where we have enough enemies rattling their swords? And our economy is upside down. And inflation is rampant. And nobody seems to have an answer. And everybody blames everybody else. I hope you're not thinking that some man is going to help us out right now. I hope you're not thinking that if you can grit your teeth and hold on to the something else happen, you're going to be okay. I'm going to tell you, we just may be in a season of preparation. We just may be moving to an awakening. And it wasn't the way we thought it would happen. And it may not be the way we wanted it to happen. And it may not be the easiest way to happen. But I want to encourage you today, we may be prepared. For someone to finally hear the word. 
See, there's preparation and timing. Could it be that we, we, we are like the, the day on Mount Carmel where fire fell and God showed himself strong? Where the prophets of Baal had run and cut and shouted and screamed and chanted and did all they can do while Elijah just sitting there waiting. Could it be that the devil is taking his best shot at America right now? Could it be the false prophets are prophesying and the liars are lying and the enemies are doing what they do and the devil is running rapid everywhere? Could it be? But could it be God says, I'm about to take my turn. I'm about to rise up and do what I alone can do. Might it be that? But here's the question that Jesus said. He said, when the Son of Man come, will he find faith on this planet? Will he find somebody who held on when the others let go. Somebody that believed the word no matter what anybody else told them. See, that's what I'm thinking about. See, sometimes the situation that caused that precedes a revival is that, that hearts had to be prepared to they're finally ready to receive the word of God. America's still pretty choosy right now. Still pretty opinionated. This nation is very divided and very self-focused and very self-centered. And even if you thought about it, look about it. Don't become part of it. Even in the pressures we're in right now, we just blame somebody else. We, we keep thinking in our pride and arrogance. Well, if my enemies and the people I don't like weren't doing the things they're doing, then I'd be okay. No, you wouldn't. Maybe we're like the same scenario when Paul was on the ship to go to Rome, to go before the emperor. Remember they were ready to sail, Acts 27, 28. And Paul says, the Lord's spoken to me, he says, we're not supposed to sail. There's going to be trouble if we go. Remember that? And the Roman centurion said, no, we got what we can yeah, Okay. You're the preacher. He's the sailor. We got this. Remember that? And it said, then we had a favorable wind began to blow. They set sail. Great storm came on them. Storms buffeting the ship. Remember, he'd given them the word of God. No, I don't want to hear the word right now. See, when everything's going well, sometimes people don't want to hear the word. Sometimes Christians don't want to hear the word. (laughs) I already know that story. So there are people who aren't in church today and they're sitting there going, I've already heard about Jesus. I've already been to church. I've already heard all that. I don't need it right now. He said, don't tell me. I, I know God said it, but mm, we got it. You, you just go over there. Go in your little prayer corner. Okay. Go and pray. We don't need it. Well, the storm comes, just like God said. So they start running ropes under the ship, trying to keep it from sinking. Still don't want to turn to the word of God. We got this. We got this. Isn't it crazy what we're doing right now in America? We got this. We're running ropes under everything. We're trying to make it all work. We got our own ideas. If we can get another party in office, if we can get a different man, if we can get another personality, if we can run one more rope under this ship, we're going to get to the other side. And it kept getting worse and worse. And you know it's bad when they threw the cargo over. And all of a sudden, listen to me, the atmosphere shifted in it. When in a nation, when a nation stops prioritizing their money, and they get into the survival mode. Something starts shifting. See, they said, we, we're not here for profit anymore. We're here for survival. Throw the stuff over. Then it says they gave up all hope. 
the angel came and visited Paul in that boat again. He said, Paul, I got an assignment for you. Listen, church. Listen, church. He said, I got an assignment for you, Paul. You got to go to Rome. You've got to fulfill the will of God. Do you know when you're walking in the purposes and the will of God, you're indestructible. You're not a storm out of hell that can get you when you're living and walking in the will of God. He said, Paul, I told you you're going to Rome. You're going to Rome. I told you I've got an assignment in Rome. You've got an assignment in Rome. So you tell these guys, do this and do that. Well, now when, you, when, when, when the ropes didn't work and the anchor didn't work and you threw your money overboard, now isn't it interesting? We want to hear what God has to say. I'm telling you, there is a preparation and a timing that often precedes an awaking in a nation. And I don't want you to miss it. And I don't want you to misread it. Are you hearing me today? You're going to remember this message someday. You're going to remember what I'm telling you. And what we, what finally, they said, we'll listen to the word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you, there may be some storms in America. We may not be to the end of some of this stuff we're in. But I'm going to tell you, the church has an assignment. We are here for a reason. We're on this planet for such a time as this. You weren't just born random. God wrote a message about you in your mother's womb. God wrote an assignment about it. This church isn't here just because it's Sunday in America and somebody wanted to go to church. We have an assignment. We have a calling. We have a purpose. We have a prophetic anointing on why we are here and what we do. And I'm going to tell you something. If God says we're going, we're going. If God says we're to the other side, we're going to go to the other side. Listen, there may be a storm and I'm not going to tell you you won't get wet along the way, but we're going to get there. If the ship goes down, I'll swim to the bank. If I the ship goes down, I'll go over on something else. If God is for you, who can be against you? If you're walking with the Lord in the storm, God's going to get you there. And you know what else is going to happen? Everybody you know that knows you ought to pray for you every day, whether they're a believer or not. Because God said, Paul, not only are you going to the other side, everybody on the boat with you is going to the other side. And I want to stand today and say, it may be rough and the storms may come, but you're going to the other side. And I want to declare your kids are going to the other side. And your grandchildren are going to the other side. And their children's children are going to the other side. I don't know the storms of this nation and the crazy decisions people are making. But I'm going to stand on the word of the living God. And when this nation finally is ready to hear the word, we're going to give the word of God. I believe if Nineveh Nineveh can have a revival, America can have a revival. If it's not too late there, it's not too late here. I want to tell you, hold on today. Come on. I want you to grab on your prayer life today. I want you to get in that word today. The final thing you've got to understand is God is going to do what he said. God is going to be faithful to all the things that he has promised to do. And I guess we just have to say this right now. Worship team, come on and join me. Here's the deal. I have to ask you, is the word of God the uppermost preeminent foundation of your life? Are you willing, let me ask some questions. Are you willing to believe the word if nobody else around you believes the word? Are you? Are you willing to make your priorities on the word if everybody else says it doesn't work? Are you willing, listen, I'm preaching to you today. Are you willing to step away from what your family says if it disagrees with the word of God? Are you willing to risk your job on what the word of God says? Are you willing to risk your testimony, your, your, your reputation on what the word of God says? Are you willing to stand on the word if all your friends walk off? Are you willing to stand on the word no matter how crazy it gets? 
See, somebody needs to understand, we've got a nation. We've got generation. We've got children and children's children who aren't going to make it if somebody doesn't know the Word. If somebody doesn't preach the Word, stand on the Word, live the Word, honor the Word. Listen, this nation is dying for truth. When Jesus was brought before Pilate, and Pilate knew that the Pharisees were wrong. They knew that he knew Jesus was innocent. Finally, in desperation, he looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? What is truth? Do you know that question crucified Jesus? That question crucified Jesus. Do you know that if the church can't answer that question, our testimony is going to be crucified? Our influence is going to be crucified. Do you know that if you can't answer what is true? If we can't speak the truth, how? In love. I'm not against a person, but I'm against the spirit of the enemy. Who wants to rob and rip and tear. So we got to preach the word. I can give you many illustrations. I want to give you this one. you got to hold this guy. you got to hold the word. you got to be loyal to the word. There's no way Calvary... Being so diverse that we're supposed to be diverse. It's a glorious thing, our diversity. It's a Holy Ghost thing. How many know that? The diversity in the house. But we can't, listen to me, in these moments we're in, continue to have who we are and be who we are unless every one of us says, the Word of God is the final authority. The Word of God is the final authority. Let God be true and every man a liar. Because if you try to build a church based on what men say today, you're not going to build one. There are going to be people say, well, if you're white, you're supposed to do this. Come on, I'm just going to go there. And if you're black, you're supposed to do that. I never read black, white Bible. I just read Bible. Well, if you're Hispanic, you do that. If you're Asian, you do that. American Indian, do that. I, I, I don't know how to pastor that church. I don't know what to do with that church. I know what to do with the Word of God. That's the church we're going to be. We've got to hold that. See, Corey Tinboom says as a little girl, she asked her father, she said, I'm, I'm just going to, I got to go there on a couple things. She said she thought the word sex only meant gender, male or female. She didn't know there was anything else connected to it. That's all sex was. And then somebody said something about sex being that. She went to her father. She's a little girl. She asked her father, what is that? They were on a train ride. She said her father grew quiet. He said, Corey, why don't you go over there and, and bring my suitcase. Bring it here. She thought, that's kind of strange. I'm asking a question. So she walks over. It's a huge suitcase. He had a lot of heavy things. He knew she couldn't pick it up. He said, Corey, bring me the suitcase. She tried. She said, Father, I, I can't pick it up. It's too heavy for me. He said, my daughter, the answer to that question is too heavy for you. And when you're old enough, I'll give you the answer. Just like you'll be able to pick that suitcase up. Won't you listen to me? The only child in this nation, little children I'm talking about, that are confused about their gender is because of the influence of an adult. That child is not ready to pick that kind of weight up and carry it in their life. Now listen, I... But my concern is, who's going to stand on that word and love that child and love the adults who've lied to that child and enabled them to become so confused? Who's going to do that? We've got to do that. The church has to do that. There may be some storms and we may get wet, but we're going to the other side. We've got an appointment. 
And I want to challenge you. Do you believe the word? Are you going to live by that word? I'm going to tell you, if you don't read your Bible every day, you need to get that Bible out. You need to get in the word. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but not my word. We're going to build on the word. We're going to live on the word. We're going to love on the word. We're going to model Jesus by walking this word out. I'm so blessed to be your pastor. I'm so thankful to stand in front of you today and every week to pray for you, love you, guide you. But we're going to do it on the Word. That's how we're going to do it. We've got to do it by the Word. Let's stand together. I want you to stand with me today. The church, listen to me. We're going to serve this culture by living Jesus out in front of them. Do you know that you can disagree with somebody and it's not hate? Do you know that? Do you know you can disagree and not be hateful? I want to be a place. This be the Father's house. Where the Word. What's going to happen when we go in there? We're going to get the Word. How are we going to base what we do? We're going to go for the Word. That's who we are. Because it honors God and it lifts you to your highest place. Church family, I believe... That God can still bring a revival in this nation. I believe that some of the things we're walking through may unfortunately be the preparation for that. It's not something God put on us. It's something man did to themselves. Or you're listening to me. We're in it, but we're not of it. (laughs) He's coming back for us again someday. Oh, it's going to be good. This world is not my home. It's not my resting place. I'm going to change everything for the glory of God I can. We're going to run the race as hard as we can. We're going to love, we're going to forgive, we're going to be kind, but we're going to preach the word. How many said, Pastor, as God helps me, my home is a home of the word. My house is a house of the word. I'm going to live on the word, I'm going to honor it. Guys, we can't go wrong. We can't go wrong with that. I want to say, you guys, just just for a minute, they're going to lead us here in this Father's house. I love that, that statement, in the Father's house, in the Father's house. There's a good God. There's a gracious God. And I want you to come before him today and say, God, here's my life. Here's my life. You know, the Father's house is not just in this building. It's wherever you go. God wants your home to be the Father's house. Right? God wants everywhere you live in the Father's house. Prodigals come home. Miracles happen. Faith arises. I'm not afraid of the future. Are you with me? not afraid of the future. Like I said, we may get some storms. We may get wet. But we're getting to the other side. By the way, you ought to read about what happened on the island of Malta on the way to the assignment. See, if the devil sinks your boat, he made a big mistake. Because number one, you're not drowning. And number two, where you stopped on the way, you're going to start another revival. (laughs) You know, finally he's going to quit messing with some of us because he said, I'd rather just let them get there. Because every time I slow them down, something else good happens with these people. If, listen, if your neighbor acts crazy around you, the devil should have been quiet next door to you. Because all he did was open up a time for the Word of God to come out. If people get, if, as they say today, if people get cray-cray at work with you, okay, they should have been quiet. They just opened the door for the Spirit of God to walk in and do something at that place. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's all right. You say, well, I got a little wet. Well, enjoy the swim. You got a revival coming up in your face. So just keep moving. We're on the Word. Come on, let's pray. You guys lead us. Let's, let's remember we're in the Father's house. We have an assignment. We're going to the other side. This nation's going to have a revival.
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.